If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Well, in the year A.D. 500, uh, there was a monk named Dennis. All right, as all good stories start out this way. Uh, And the ancient form of the name Dennis was uh, Dionysius. Uh, But his name was essentially what we know as Dennis. Now, Dennis was a common name, and so Dennis took on a nickname, and he was called Dennis the Insignificant. Uh, which we would never call our Dennis the insignificant. So if Dennis is out in the lobby listening right now, he is not the insignificant. But this Dennis in AD 500 took on the nickname Dennis the Insignificant. And ironically, what Dennis the Insignificant did was propose something that really would be really significant and would have an effect on world history. You see, what Dennis the Insignificant proposed was that we change our calendar system to center around the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, before that time, uh, emperors and kings would oftentimes change the dating system to count from the year that they became emperor, all right? So, for example, like in the fifth year of so-and-so, of the reign of so-and-so, like this happened and things like that, okay? The calendar system was used to proclaim and to symbolize who was ruling and reigning over those years, But Dennis the Insignificant, he proposed that the calendar be changed to revolve around the birth of Christ, that glorious time when God put on flesh and came to earth. Now, in actuality, Jesus was likely born around 4 BC, according to our calendar system, but the exact date was not so much the point as much as the symbolic significance of it, of centering our calendar around the general time of the first arrival of Christ. And so this new calendar system, since the year A.D. 500, it slowly and surely was adopted throughout the world, wherever the gospel went, wherever Christianity spread, people started recognizing that the era before the first Christmas as being B.C., before Christ, and the era after the first Christmas being A.D., which is the abbreviation for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. Now, those who have not bowed their knee to Jesus have, uh, they realize the significance of the calendar system more than Christians oftentimes do. And so they've tried to change now AD to CE, standing for Common Era, and BCE, before Common Era. Uh, But even if Christians are forced to use those abbreviations, uh, you know, writing term papers and things like that, you have a clear conscience as long as you understand that CE stands for Christ Empire. Okay? And before Christ empire. All right, but but the reason that I bring up the calendar system for your reflection this Advent season is because of the year that we find ourselves in. The year 2020. And that's usually how we say it, right? We usually say 2020 followed by like a deep sigh or a a shaking of the head or a shrug of the shoulders, right? Like it can never just be 2020. It has to be followed by some sort of just groan, right? But then just in the nick of time, Christmas rolls around The season of Advent is upon us, and and that word Advent, it, it means coming or arrival, and it's historically the season that we as Christians take an intentional, focused in time to celebrate Christ's first coming and look forward and long for his second coming. 
And so here we are, we're coming to the end of our calendar year, and we are now reflecting on all that has happened. And as we do that, we must remember whose rule and reign the year 2020 is marking. We believe that this has been the year of our Lord. And next year will be the year of our Lord. And so for the next uh, four weeks, we're going to take a break from our Hebrews uh, series. And we're going to take a look at at different parts of the Christmas story. And we're going to see how we can kind of tie that in and and how that will bring us some uh, um, good courage and good hope and good joy as we reflect on all that has happened in the year 2020. The Christmas story is the story that shook the universe. It it marked the breaking in of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And it has been since his birth where we have celebrated his reign each and every year. And we will do so even in 2020. And we will do so in 2021 as well. All right, so here's where we're going for the next four weeks. Uh, Next week, we will see how the year of our Lord 2020 has revealed our political brokenness. But we will see how Christmas and the Incarnation brings us political joy, right? Just just when you thought we were done talking about politics, uh, I'm going to go there, okay? Merry Christmas, all right? Uh, And then the week after that, we're going to see how the year of our Lord 2020 has revealed our hostility and division that exists amongst people. But we will see how Christmas and the Incarnation brings good news of great joy to all people. And then the morning of our church Christmas celebration, which will be the Sunday before Christmas, we will see how the year of our Lord 2020 has revealed our lack of patience and perseverance. But we will see how Christmas brings us the strength we need to joyfully wait for the Lord. But this week, this is where we're going this morning. This week we are going to see how the year of our Lord 2020 has revealed our enslavement to fear but we will see how Christmas and the Incarnation brings us the courage we need for the road ahead. Christmas brings us the courage we need for the road ahead. So let's, let's pray and let's, let's ask the Lord uh, for this Christmas courage, all right? Father God, we do come before you uh, at the end of a year that, that none of us had really planned on things going the way they went. But Lord, help us now celebrate and recognize that this has still been the year of our Lord. That this has still been a year of your rule and your reign. And that you have been Lord of this year and you will be Lord of the next as well. And so Father, I ask that as we look at your word, that you would speak your truth to us. Father, I ask that we would not cling to our lives so tightly that we become cowards or that we become Uh, uh, fearful. But Father, we ask that you would give us courage to seek you no matter the cost. And truly, Lord, in this season, may your blessings flow as far as the curse is found. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. All right, let's stop there for a second. Here, here we have Mary, and Mary being the Greek, the Greek uh, name for the Hebrew name Miriam, okay, Miriam. 
And Mary was betrothed to Joseph, which was similar to being engaged, uh, what we think of as being engaged, but much more legally binding. Uh, And they were likely very young. They were likely 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, They had been betrothed or engaged. They had not yet consummated the marriage. Mary was a virgin, and they are in the city of Nazareth which to call Nazareth a city is really a bit of a stretch because uh, it was more of a small village, maybe about 400 people. And Gabriel appears to Mary in Nazareth. And then look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Okay, so think about this for a little bit. Think about all that Mary could be fearful of in this moment. Okay, I mean, first of all, an angel has appeared to her, uh, which would have initially been a pretty frightening, kind of a terrifying thing, right? For an angel appear to appear to you. That's not something that happens every day. But then think about all the fearful thoughts that could be going through her head. I mean, the angel is telling her that she's going to become pregnant before being with Joseph. She was likely fearful of what Joseph was going to think, right? He would think that she had cheated on him, that she had committed adultery. I mean, virgin pregnancies are really hard to convince someone else of, right? I mean, this is like she knows it's not going to go well. And thankfully, we see in Matthew 1 that an angel shows up to Joseph as well and kind of fills him in on everything that's going on. But in that time and with their customs, committing adultery could have even been punishable by death. Right? Mary could be stoned for this. And at the very least, even if she was not killed, at the very least, Mary knows that her reputation is going to be ruined. She's going to get the scarlet letter, so to speak. She's going to be shamed for becoming pregnant. Joseph would likely divorce her, and she'd face a future of poverty, being an outcast of society. I mean, here in this moment, all of her wedding plans and marriage plans and all that are seemingly thrown out the window in a moment because God has other plans for her. And it's at this point, and it's under this stress, that Mary can either surrender to fear or she can respond with courage. And C.S. Lewis, a quote we'll have up on the screen, C.S. Lewis once wrote, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. All right, courage is not simply just one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. All right, and so here is the testing point for Mary, and skip down to verse 38 to see how she responds. Luke 1, 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I'm sure Mary still has a lot of things going through her head. I'm sure she still has lots of questions. She's unsure about how this is all going to play out. But she understands who God is. He is the Lord. She understands who she is. She is his servant. And she, by faith, 
responds in such a courageous way. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to give you a definition of biblical courage, all right? Biblical courage. Biblical courage is a joyful confidence and boldness in the Lord. All right? Biblical courage is a joyful confidence and boldness in the Lord that leads to a willingness to do what God calls you to no matter the cost. I know that was a lot there. I'll say it again. Biblical courage is a joyful confidence and boldness in the Lord that leads to a willingness to do what God calls you to no matter the cost. And courage is oftentimes what God calls his people to respond with in situations where we naturally want to respond in fear. For example, when Jesus comes walking on the water to his disciples, Mark 6, verse 50 says, For they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. That's, that phrase is, is have courage or be of good cheer. That's the way some translations put it. Be of good cheer. Have courage. Take heart. And this is what Jesus commands his disciples to have, to have courage, to have a joyful confidence in him. Paul also encourages the Corinthians in the same way. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses thir uh, verse 13, Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now that's a popular verse to put on a lot of like men's retreats and conferences. And that's, that's a fine thing to do. But that phrase, act like men, that phrase means conduct yourself in a courageous way. All right. Conduct yourself in a courageous way. And that phrase can certainly be applied to both men and women. All right. Conduct yourself in a courageous way. Be watchful. Stand firm. Conduct yourself in a courageous way. This is a command from God to his people. And it's what we see Mary, as well as Joseph, do here when they get this news that Mary will become pregnant with Jesus. They take heart. They act courageously. And they have a joyful confidence in the Lord that leads to a willingness to do whatever God is calling them to no matter the cost. And in the, in the year of our Lord 2020, the church desperately needs to take heart and act courageously as well. Now, in regards to, to COVID-19, all right, and all the, the fear that it has kind of stirred up, all right, let me clarify some things. Uh, in regards to COVID-19, I believe that there are ways that Christians can respond differently to it in regards to how we handle large gatherings and masks and social distancing and all that, all right? So I'm not really addressing those specific things this morning. And we should offer grace to one another and to other churches who are handling all of that sort of stuff differently, okay? But what we should all agree on, all Christians, all churches, what we should all agree on is that we should be making decisions both wisely and courageously. All right? We should all be able to agree on that. We need to make decisions wisely and courageously, but not fearfully. Not fearfully. 
And the fear that I'm talking about, it's more than just the, the fear of, of the, the virus or more than just the fear of like the economic effects or anything like that. I'm even talking about like the fear of your reputation being hurt. I'm talking about the fear of what others might think of you. The fear of how things might appear to those who have not bent their knee to the rule and reign of Christ. For, for example, okay, at my job at the hospital and in my interactions with neighbors, uh, when they hear about our gatherings, uh, there is a, a look of disapproval from those who do not understand why we would still see the significance of gathering as a church. And in the year of our Lord, 2020, people who are committed to the gathering of, of believers are being mocked, are being demeaned, are being slandered by people who do not understand why we live the way we live and why we value what they value. But take heart, church. Listen, Nazareth never understood how Mary got pregnant. Like, they, they never got their minds around that, all right? Even they were questioning who Jesus' father was into his adult years. And in the same way, unless all your family and all your neighbors and all your coworkers become believers, which I hope and pray that they do, unless that happens, they will never understand fully why we gather, and they will never understand fully what we believe is happening uh, in, in our midst and what the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us when we gather and when we do not forsake the assembly of believers. And so 2020 has likely marked the end of the time where, where going to church helped your reputation. All right, it, it, we're, we're probably moving past that. Like back in the day, that was kind of like the original virtue signaling thing to do, right? Like you went to church uh, and, and if you were a church going person, like that helped your business because people knew you were a church going man or woman. Th those days are probably over and it's probably for the best. All right, COVID-19 is purifying the church from nominal Christianity. And that's, and that's a good thing. And so likely from here on out in America, going to church will actually hurt your reputation. Claiming Jesus as Lord will not help but hurt your popularity. It will likely not gain you power in society. And therefore, courage is what is needed on the road ahead for the church a joyful confidence and boldness in Christ that leads us to a willingness to do whatever God calls us to, no matter the cost. We need to take heart to be of good cheer and to act courageously. We need courageous preaching. We need courageous worship. We need people to courageously serve and to courageously give. We need to courageously plant more churches and we need to courageously send the gospel to the nations. We need to be a courageous church. But how do we, who are prone to fear, get this courage? Because my initial response to things is often not courage, but it is often fear. In my own strength, I'm a coward, and you are as well. Where does this courage come from? 
And I believe we do find that answer in part from our Christmas story here. Look back at verse 28. Luke 1, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, now here is where Catholicism has gotten it wrong, okay? They've, they've translated verse 28 as, Hail Mary, full of grace, okay? And they've taken that phrase, Hail Mary, full of grace, and they've developed an unbiblical doctrine where they see Mary as being full of grace, meaning that she is the one who then dispenses grace to others, okay? Catholic theology teaches that Mary is the dispenser of grace, and that's not what's happening here, okay? That's not, what, that's not what this passage is saying. That's not what the angel is saying. Mary is not responding with faith and courage because she is the source of grace. But instead, she's responding with faith and courage because she is the recipient of grace. Do you see that? Mary is the recipient of this sovereign grace. The angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, not because you have earned grace, not because you are the source of grace. No, do not be afraid because you have found grace. And therefore her courage does not stem from her faith in herself, but her courage stems from her faith in God, who is the source of her found sovereign grace. Just like the proverb says in Proverbs 3, Verse 25, we'll have up on the screen, Proverbs 3. It says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The Lord will be your confidence, church. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or ruin of the wicked in 2021, church. For the Lord will be your confidence. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Act courageously. Church, listen, this, is, th- this applies right to you. Do not fear, church. You have found favor with God. In Christ, you have received grace from God. Therefore, do not fear. You have found favor with God. And so where does this courage come from? This courage comes from our faith in God's sovereign grace, his sovereign grace. You see, God had sent Mary a messenger to share with her his word that he had a specific task for her for this specific time. Out of his sovereign grace, he had chosen Mary to carry and to raise the savior of the world. And I'm sure there were plenty of times Mary was thinking, like, why me, oh Lord? (laughs) Why not the, the lady down the street? She's much more mature. She's much more faithful. She's much more righteous than I am. She's much more equipped for this. Like, why not someone else? Why not another woman throughout history? Like, why not God wait for like a Mother Teresa or an Elizabeth Elliot or someone like that? Like, why her and why then? And it is because God chose Mary. It is God's sovereign grace. 
his undeserved favor that he chose to set upon her. And that is what strengthens her and makes her courageous so that she can say, let it be to me according to the word of God. Now, think about your own life, okay? God could have had you live in any other time in history. And I know some of you even fantasize that about wishing that you could live back in the day. Listen, if God wanted you to live back in the day, you would have lived back in the day. God wanted you to live right now. And in his wisdom, he chose you to pour out his grace upon you right now to live as a Christian in America in the year of our Lord 2020. And in the same way that God chose Mary to bring the Savior into the world, so too you have been chosen by God to bring the news of the Savior to Franklin, Indiana. And I don't know about you, but like, that fills me with courage. That fills me with courage. We, we weren't called to plant a church in Franklin in the 90s when it was socially acceptable to go to church. Like, we were called to plant a church in Franklin right now when we have to explain ourselves for going to church. And, and so may God's sovereign grace strengthen us and give us courage. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not all doom and gloom for the church. And I, I do not want to paint a bleak picture of your future and how hard it's going to be. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I do believe that revival is right around the corner for courageous churches. Because let us not forget what time in history we are living in. Let us not forget what that first Christmas really marked in the history of the world. Jesus is called the bright morning star which means that the sun is rising on the kingdom of God, not setting, all right? And that's important to remember because, listen, you live very differently depending upon if you think the sun is rising or the sun is setting, don't you? Okay, for, for example, uh, this last year on vacation, all right, we were down in Florida, and there were a couple of mornings uh, when I got up early uh, before the rest of the family and before the sun was up because it's really cool to see a sunrise on when you're on the ocean, okay? And so I didn't do it every morning because you still got to sleep in some, but there were a couple of mornings I got up early, and one of those, I went to walk to a donut shop to surprise the boys with donuts, okay? And so it was about a half-mile walk away from our condo and I got up it was still dark you know completely uh, uh, dark the sun hadn't risen yet and I would walk to the donut shop get the donuts a half mile walk back um, now as I'm walking with the box of donuts uh, something happened that I wasn't really planning on uh, but there were a lot of people that were out for their morning run Okay, and uh, I'm not going to lie, I felt a little self-conscious carrying a box of donuts past all these people who were out exercising, uh, but in that moment, being on vacation, I felt like they were the ones in the wrong in that situation. I felt like I was living right, okay? Uh, and so I know some people like to exercise at nighttime, but in general, I think in general, for the sake of illustration, people have a bit more courage and gusto to go running in the dark in the morning when they know the sun is rising, right? They have a confidence that they know the sun is about to come up. The sun is about to rise. 
But you see, when the sun is setting, people are just trying to kind of get where they need to go to be safe for the night. Right? I remember growing up in my neighborhood, it was when the sun was setting that we were supposed to return home. Uh, uh, we were supposed to go back to our house when the sun was setting because everyone knows that just at nighttime, things not, aren't necessarily as safe. I mean, the majority of crime and things like that, the majority of riots and things like that happen much more when the sun is setting at nighttime. Not as many people run at nighttime because they don't want to end up on the evening news the next day. But when the sun is rising, things are different. It's still dark, but you have confidence that the bright morning star is going to lead to more and more light throughout the world. And therefore, you can run into the darkness because you know the light will soon shine across all the earth. Church, Chris, Christmas brings us courage because it is in this season and it is as we wish one another Merry Christmas and it is as we put up lights on a tree or lights on our house that we are reminding ourselves that the light has come into the world. And I know 2020 has felt dark at some times. It's felt like we've been running in the dark. But don't think for a second that the sun is setting on Christ's kingdom. Christmas reminds us that the sun is rising. Like, yes, it is dark, but the sun is coming. And therefore, we have courage in the darkness because we believe the sun is risen and will continue to rise. And so take heart, church. Be of good cheer. Act courageously. Christ has come. The light of the world has come. And so, so far, we've seen our need for courage. We have seen the source of our courage being God's sovereign grace. But what will be the downstream results of this Christmas courage in our life? What, what will be kind of the effect and the, the, the outflow of this Christmas courage that is cultivated in and amongst us? And there are many things that we could talk about here, but let me mention a couple of them. Uh, one of those that Dad even brought up to me this morning, um, where Mom and Dad, after having my older sister Marie, who was severely mentally and physically handicapped, uh, a lot of different family and other people encouraged them to not have any more kids. And so he reminded me this morning that it took courage for him and mom to, to follow the Lord's leading to try for another child. And as a result, I am here this morning, okay, for, which I'm, I'm excited about. I don't know if you guys are, but, uh, but we're thankful for that, right? So that's, that's one something that's come from courage being cultivated um, in, in a believer's heart. But what are a couple other things? Number one, Christmas courage will help us courageously embrace the seemingly insignificant things of life. Okay? The angel came to Mary in Nazareth, an insignificant town, to an insignificant teenager, to be born in an insignificant manger that would change the calendar dating system as proposed by Dennis the Insignificant. It seems that God oftentimes works powerfully in and through what the world calls insignificant. And therefore, 
Christmas courage should cause churches to courageously embrace those things that the world calls insignificant. Like the cause of the unborn or the poor, the widow, the orphan, things that our world would quickly toss to the side and say are insignificant. We should also courageously embrace the the daily, normal, seemingly insignificant things of life, like the simple tasks of disciplining or educating our kids day after day, or shoveling our neighbor's driveway and showing love to our neighbors throughout the year. Christian courage, it must cause us to courageously commit ourselves to the habits of grace, of being in the Word and being in prayer with a joyful confidence, trusting that God is doing a significant work in and through us, even in some simple disciplines and habits that we oftentimes tell ourselves are insignificant. And so my question for you this morning is, how can you this next year courageously embrace what the world calls insignificant? How can you courageously embrace what the world calls insignificant? All right, number one, Christian courage will help us embrace the seemingly insignificant things of life. Here's another result of Christmas courage that I want to share with you. Christmas courage will be contagious to others. Christmas courage will be contagious to others. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 up on the screen, which we'll get to eventually in our study of Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, listen, let me, let me clarify here for a second because this is not me taking a shot at anyone who is at home watching the live stream, okay? Uh, we, we understand that we are in a, a unique season here and many of you are plugged into city groups and you are gathering with believers in a way that you think is best and wise and safe and we are all for that, okay? So this is not me uh, uh, coming after you in any such way. If there's an issue, I will call you, okay? Uh, so let's, let's get past past that. And then we're praying that you will have wisdom uh, on when it is best to join us again for Sunday morning gatherings. Okay. But, but listen, courage is contagious. Billy Graham once said, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. And listen, we as Christians, and especially during the season of Advent, should understand that the physical presence of other believers in the flesh, it stirs us up, it encourages us, and it strengthens us, and it gives us the courage that we need for the road ahead. And God's Word says that we are to be doing this all the more as we see the final day approaching. Courage is contagious. Your presence in the room this morning, 
It gives me courage. It does. And I hope that my presence in here this morning gives you courage. And when you see believers living courageously, it gives us courage. And therefore, sometimes the most Christ-like thing you can do for someone is to just show up. Why can I say that? I can say that because the reason we are here, the reason we call ourselves Christians, is because 2,000 years ago, God showed up in the flesh. He didn't just say, I'll be with you in spirit and leave it at that. No, he came in the flesh. He physically showed up and was present with us. When you are physically present with someone, you are testifying to the glory of the incarnation. For example, when someone dies and there's a funeral, like one of your friends and family has someone pass away, it, 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 it's always at an inconvenient time because no one, it, no one dies conveniently when it works for work schedules and things like that. And we never know what to say or what to do for our family and friend. Listen, being a Christian just means to just show up. <laughs> Be physically present for them. When someone is hurting or is giving in to being enslaved by fear, like show up and be brave next to them. Act courageously. Be physically present with them and watch your courage rub off on them. And so when you, for non-COVID related reasons, neglect gatherings, because it doesn't seem like a big deal. You are not just affecting yourself, but you are hurting the courage of your brothers and sisters who desperately need courage for the road ahead. Praise God, he did not just see us in our sin and brokenness and say that he'd be with us in spirit. No, when we tell each other Merry Christmas, we are reminding one another that God showed up. He put on flesh. He came to be physically present with us, to live the life of obedience we failed to live, to die the death that we deserved to die, and to rise from the dead so that we would be raised to a new and courageous life. The presence of the body of Christ brings courage. It brings courage. And so how can you this next year bring courage to your brothers and sisters? How can your physical presence give others courage? How can even the courageousness of our church be contagious amongst other churches in our city, county, and state? The incarnation brings us courage because God put on flesh. He became one of us. He was not content to distance himself from us. Take heart, church. Be of good cheer. Act courageously. Christ has come. And this, this contagious courage that happens as Christians are together and as we are pointing one another to Christ, it should then stir in us a courageous worship of God. L look back at, at Luke. 
We're not going to go through all the verses here, but Mary in her visit then with Elizabeth, they encourage one another because Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. It was a sort of a miraculous thing. And she, Elizabeth then makes a confession of Jesus being Lord. And this causes then Mary to break out in song and in worship where she proclaims that he who is done, mighty has done great things. And so go read that passage later this week. We should see that courage should ultimately flow out of our hearts and should increase, uh, should increase our worship of God. It should increase the worship of God in, in, in our communities and in our city. Christmas courage should increase the worship of our great God who has done mighty things and holy is his name and he has poured out his sovereign grace upon us. And as Joshua and Tim can go ahead and come back up, I'll close with this from C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader. In that story, Lucy, Edmund, and their cousin Eustace are taken to Narnia, and the three of them are on a voyage, and they come to this island, which is uh, very dark. They're like going through a tunnel, and it's an island where everyone's nightmares come true which sort of felt like 2020 for a little bit, right? Like every time we would say something or joke about something happening, then like the next day that was what was happening. It was sort of a cruel thing, right? Our worst fears came true. We feared running out of toilet paper. And lo and behold, that is what happened, right? And so they were going through this island where everyone's nightmares were, could come true and the ship's crew is being overcome by fear and they're just crazily rowing in the darkness trying to get out of away from this island. Each sailor is hearing all these different terrifying noises. All their worst nightmares are coming true. So what does Lucy do? She prays, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send us help now. And what Lewis describes as happening is pretty interesting. He says that the darkness did not grow any less. But she began to feel a little, a very little better. After all, nothing really had happened to them yet, she thought. And then a ray of light then fell on the ship, and Lucy sees something in it like a cross. And it's actually an albatross, a large bird. And the albatross circles them three times, lands on their mast, and then flies ahead of them, leading their ship out of darkness. But no one except Lucy knew that as the albatross circled the mast, it had whispered something in her ear. It had whispered, Courage, dear heart. And it was the voice of Aslan's. And in a few minutes, the darkness turned into a grayness ahead. And then almost before they dared to begin hoping, they had shot out into the sunlight and were in the warm blue world again. And all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and there never had been. Church, I believe one of the things that God wants to tell us this Christmas season in the year of our Lord 2020 and I think C.S. Lewis has my back on this one, is have courage, dear hearts. Have courage. Take heart, church. Be of good cheer. Act courageously. Christ has come. 
There is nothing to be afraid of, and there never has been for those in Christ. 